Welcome to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where you will hear messages designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. When was the last time you made a decision? In the Bible, after wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites were given a task to follow, but over time they fell short and eventually did not stick with the plan. Doesn't this sound like our relationship with God? Some of us would say yes to God's decision, but we would eventually not stick with it. In the next few weeks, as we dive into the book of Judges, we hope you will enjoy the message as we find out how to make sure we stay on our task and not break the cycle. Good morning. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open up to the book of Judges, chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, and if you'd like to use one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, we'll be around page 201, if you'd like to look in those specific Bibles. We'll be in the book of Judges, chapter 2, in just a little bit. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope. And now that we know each other, I'm a little more comfortable sharing what I'm about to share with you. Between the months of December 2008 and June 2009, I gained almost 30 pounds. I know, congratulations. I know. I can't tell you I did it overnight, and I can't tell you it was easy. It definitely took some work and some effort on my part. And I want to share with you some of the effort that I put in to gaining that much weight in that short a period of time. And so uh, this is advice for everyone on what not to do, basically. So here's what happens between those months. Now, I should give you a little context on my life at the time. A week earlier, I had just gotten married to my wonderful wife, Alin, who's sitting right here. Now, Alin has nothing to do with the story I'm about to tell you. Every time we were together, she made me eat healthy food, she made me uh, a, a live an active life, and she was very encouraging in that regard. However, she was also in the middle of her medical training at the time, and she'd be gone for 18, 24, 36-hour shifts at a time and would just be gone. It was also, and if you want to see how this perfect storm is forming, it was the first time in my adult life that I did not have a job. I'd left my job in New York to move up, up to Boston and begin our married life together. And so moving up here, I was now unemployed, and my wife was constantly employed, if you want to look at it that way. So we'd be apart for these long periods of time where I would need to now fill time for the first time in my life. And boy, did I fill time. I would sit on the couch for hours, watching television, reading a book, taking a nap, waking up, snacking, and then watching a little more television, trying to figure out something to do. And for day after day, I would just keep this same cycle of bad behavior. Sometimes I would get so bored that I would walk to the bed and watch TV all over again. And then I'd get up and find a snack in order to kill the time. It was not a good cycle. Every couple of days, though, I would get up and look myself in the mirror and just be disgusted. What are you doing with yourself? And I would have this terrible feeling of, look, you're getting out of shape. You're just not doing anything healthy anymore. So I would have this sudden epiphany. Why don't I go to the gym, which happened to be downstairs in our building? And so... I would go all the way downstairs and for the next hour, sprint on the treadmill, run on the elliptical machine for another 30 minutes, lift weights for 45 minutes. I would go absolutely crazy working out to the point 
where I couldn't move for the next four days. And so I'd lie on the couch and sit in bed and eat snacks. And the vicious cycle would just continue week after week until 30 pounds later and a job interview later. And I would land a job only to realize none of my work clothes fit me anymore. And so this was a terrible cycle I put myself through, this vicious cycle of gaining weight. And the truth is, when I saw myself, I realized something was wrong. If you ask yourself today, am I spiritually going down a downward spiral or, or going down through a cycle of being worse off with God than I was maybe yesterday or a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, would you notice it? Would you be able to tell that you're not the same place with God that you used to be? Because the truth was, when it came to my weight gain, it was a downward spiral of causes and effects that led me to where I got to. And it was me not recognizing the cause and the effect and allowing them to repeat in my life. Now, the truth is, when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to the things of God, I think it's even harder to see at times. And we can go down a spiral, a cycle, that takes us farther and farther away from God and ultimately leads us down a path that we don't want to go down. This morning, we're going to have a chance to look at one of the most vicious cycles in all of human history. A cycle that happened in the Old Testament, a cycle that continues even to this day, a cycle where we spend time less and less with God, we're less connected to God, and eventually go down a path that we don't want to go down. If you have your Bible open to the book of Judges, this morning we get to now walk into the book of Judges for the first time. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Brian walked us through this understanding of Joshua, the leader of Israel at the time, recommitting himself his family, and his people back to the covenant with God. You might remember that glorious moment. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was this great moment where the entire community said together, God, you are it for us. God, you are everything for us. And so we commit ourselves back to you. I don't really want to spoil the entire book for you, and I hope you'll go home and read it at some point. But if you go to the final verses of the book of Judges, it'll tell you what becomes of that covenant. It'll tell you about what becomes of that glorious moment. The very last words of the book of Judges in chapter 21 simply say like this, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. How do you go from, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, to, and the people did what was right in their own eyes? Something happens. Some kind of a spiral happens, and this morning, I want to introduce you to the spiral, introduce you to the cycle that happens in the lives of the people then and can still happen today. So if you have your Bibles open to uh, Judges chapter 2, we'll be in verses 7 through 19. I'll read Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 19. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Perez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him 
and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So how do you go from, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We commit to serving you, God. We will recommit to the covenant with you, God. How do you go from that to but all the people did what was right in their own eyes? How does that happen? Does it happen overnight, or is there a process in place? Is there a spiral, a cycle that takes place between that one and this one? How does that happen? If you're new to the book of Judges, or if you've never read it before, as I said before, please go home and try to read it. It's more salacious than any novel you could ever buy at Barnes & Noble. It's more violent and extreme than any movie you could ever watch. It is a book that after you're done, you will probably say, how did that get in the Bible? It is one of the most violent, cruel books. You will see acts of assassination and murder, illicit relationships. You'll see jealousy, revenge. There is war and famine. There are all kinds of struggles all in one book. And this one book has to beg the question, why is it even there? And over these next couple of weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to see exactly why it's there. And so much of it has to do with the cycle, the downward spiral that we will learn about today. How many of you have seen someone who started out here and ended up here? How many people do we know? How often in the news any day do we hear about someone who is incredible at something, have a dramatic fall from grace that leaves them at the bottom of the bottom? How how often does that happen? If you look at the news any week, you see it. Just look at the trials that are going on right now. Think about the most famous comedian actor of the 1980s and 90s is on trial right now for being someone completely different than who he claimed to be. One of the biggest producers in Hollywood is now known as nothing more than just a predator in his life. You're seeing people uh, think about one of the most famous cyclists in history who was known as a hero for his exploits in cycling and now known nothing more as a cheater. What happens to these people? How do you start here and end up here? The story of the people of Israel, our story as well, is often the same thing. We start off well. God had delivered them from the Red Sea, from 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, from crossing the Jordan to the walls of Jericho. He had led them on this incredible escapade to come to the promised land. And here they are about to receive the promised land and God starts to remind them of the covenants that they made in the past, of the promises that they had made once before. And he starts to warn them. And I want you to pay careful attention to the warnings he gives them. 
The warning is not that you're about to enter the promised land and life is going to be rough, so don't forget me. That's not what he says. He says, for the first time in your recent history, life is about to be good. Life is about to be easier than it used to be. Life is about to be settled. And when life is settled, you have a tendency to forget me. You have a tendency to forget God. You have a tendency to go down a spiral when life is good. Be careful because you will face that temptation and your children will face that temptation. In fact, most of the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament is God telling his people, I did this for you, don't forget. Don't let your children forget, otherwise this spiral will start. We come to the book of Judges and the spiral starts. Joshua leaves them with this great instruction to serve God in their lifetime. But as we read today, Joshua dies and the spiral begins. I believe that spiral begins with the word disobedience. Disobedience. You'll notice in every chapter, just about every chapter of Judges, the cycle starts when the people of God choose to stop doing what God asked them to do. The word will say over and over again, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You'll see it in Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 3, chapter 6. You will see it repeated over and over again. And the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Somewhere along the way, they forgot who God was, and they decided to do things their own way. If we're honest with ourselves... This is often the start of our own spirals. You know you're supposed to do what God has called you to do. You know you're supposed to do what God has asked of you to do. Out of his amazing love to you, you know that that's what you should do. But we're often so tempted to do what is right in our own eyes because I can see what's right in front of me and I'll say, look, God, I know what you want me to do but this seems a lot easier. God, I know what you want me to do, but this seems a lot better for me. God, I know what you want me to do, but this would make me happy right now. And disobedience is typically the start of the cycle, the spiral in the lives of the Israelites, and the same for us. In the book of Judges, this cycle will continue when the people of Israel disobey God. It then leads to this period of discipline from God. And you'll see that throughout the text. Disobedience typically leads to discipline. Discipline in the form of God getting the attention of the people again. You'll see this over and over again throughout this book, that God will hand over, he will deliver the people into the hands of their enemies, and plunderers and raiders would come in and rob them and would take their crops and would take their people, and it would be terrible situation after terrible situation. God would get their attention through the discipline, and that would then lead to the next phase of the cycle where the people would cry out in distress in distress and agony to God, saying, God, please help us. God, save us from this agony that we're going through, through this trouble that we're in. Judges chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, you will see the same line over and over again, and they cried out to the Lord in distress. It's a cycle. It repeats itself. They disobey. God hands them over to their enemies. They cry out in distress. And every single time in the book of Judges, you'll see God provides them a deliverer. He gives them a deliverer, a judge. And that's where the book's name comes from. 
These judges, though heavily flawed, are people who rise up to fight back against the oppressor and ultimately defeat them, sometimes in war, sometimes in other ways, ultimately destroying the oppressor and bringing a rescue, bringing a healing, a salvation to the people of Israel at the time, and they are delivered. And for the lifetime of the deliverer, there is peace in the land. So if the deliverer lives seven more years, there's seven more years of peace. If the deliverer lives for 80 years, there's about 80 more years of peace. And the cycle continues because here's what happens. In 80 years, we tend to forget because what what happened happened maybe to the previous generation. And so we start to forget. And what we start to see next is a descent, a descent into sin and disobedience again. It's not like they did something and then when the cycle continues, they just do the same thing again. They actually do worse. As we read this morning, they were doing worse and worse every single time. One generation would come and do something terrible. God would discipline them. They would cry out. A deliverer would come. And then the next generation would do even worse than the generation before. A downward spiral. This morning, you know yourself. I know myself. What's the spiral in your life? What's the downward cycle in your life? What triggers it? What causes it? Who are the people that set it off in your life? How does it go from where you are today to where you'll probably end up or where you were to where you are today? How does it happen? You see, if we're not aware of the cycle in our lives, we are doomed to keep repeating that cycle, not only in our lifetimes, but the lifetimes of our children and their children. Think about what it's like if you're in a car and you're stuck in mud. The more you spin your wheels, it's not like you just jump up out of the mud. Typically, you sink deeper and deeper into the mud. And this is what happens in the lives of the people of Israel. They sin before God. They do things that are right in their own eyes. God corrects them. He gets their attention, not because he's angry at them, but because he loves them and he's passionate about them. He corrects them. And then they cry out to him and then he sends a deliverer for them. The deliverer leads them into peace and then over time they forget what God had done and they slide deeper and deeper away from God only to repeat the cycle again. This morning I believe there are at least two things that we can be thinking about to prevent the downward spiral in our own lives, to prevent the downward spiral, at least two things. And number one, I believe God is calling us to know him better. If you take a look at what happens in the lives of the people of Israel, they forget God, they forsake God. Even though they knew what was right, they still didn't do it because they chose to forget God. For the first time in generations, life was good for them. They were settled in their own homes. They could grow their own crops, raise their own families, and as a result, they didn't need God every minute. They started to rely on themselves and do what was right in their own eyes, and that triggered the downward spiral. For many of us, it's the same thing. When I need God, I'm close to God. But as soon as things seem comfortable, thanks, God, I've got this. God, I've got it covered. I'll do it my way. I'll do what's right in my own eyes because that's what seems right to me. I'll call on you when I need you. But right now, God, I got this. When we don't know the Lord, we tend to forget the Lord. We tend to go and try to build our kingdoms and forget what he's calling us to do. There's a preacher named Eric Heron who puts it this way. Most of our struggles with sin originate from a sinful, spiritual amnesia that forgets who the Lord is and what he has done for us. 
we forget God. And when we don't know God, we have a tendency to disobey him, a tendency to not be connected to him, a tendency to do what is right in our own eyes. That verse at the end of Judges is important. They did what was right in their own eyes. I don't want us to be fooled here. That wasn't their destination. That wasn't the end of the story. That was every day of the story. You don't just end up there. Every day you are choosing to do what is right in your own eyes. So this morning I ask you, what are the big decisions you're facing in life right now? The big choices you're making, and maybe even the little choices that you're making every single day. How have you stopped trusting God in those choices and instead decided, I will do what is right in my own eyes? I will seek after my own happiness, my own wealth, my own success, my prosperity, my family. I will seek out those things over what God has called me to do. If we're honest, the cycle starts when we start doing things our way. When we start obeying ourselves, when we start doing what we believe is right, that's where the cycle starts. And the cycle is this poison that continues. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says like this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death. And for many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, this is what's happening. God, why am I farther from you than ever before? Why are my children farther from you? Why is our family not where you want us to be? And if we honestly look at it, it often starts from a place where we started doing things that was right in our own eyes. We started going our own way. And over time, we disconnected from God. And when you don't know God, you're deeply disconnected from him. We do what is right in our own eyes. In 1867, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia had a big decision to make. He was short on cash, and he needed to raise money quickly. He had a plot of land that he was willing to sell to make that money quickly. That land happened to be the state that we now call Alaska. That land was land that Russia owned, but when Nicholas looked at that land, he would look at it and say, and in fact, he would often call it that sheet of ice. That's what he typically called it, that sheet of ice. And when it came time for him to raise money quickly, he decided, let's sell Alaska to this nation called the United States. Let's give it to them, and we'll charge them $7 million for this land. The United States went and bought it. They purchased Alaska for $7 million. Because what Nicholas saw as a sheet of ice, America would later find out, was one of the wealthiest sources of gold, petroleum, and fishing in the entire world. That $7 million to the United States then is today worth over $7 trillion in just those three exports. Think about it for a second. Nicholas did what was right in his own eyes because he saw a sheet of ice and selling a sheet of ice for $7 million made sense. But he didn't see everything else that was going on. And for many of us, that's what's happening. We're doing what's right in our own eyes and saying, God, I know you're calling me to do X, but I'm going to do Y because I can see what's in front of me. And here's God calling out to us, my child, I know far more than you know in this situation. I know what's under that ground. It's not just a sheet of ice. I know what's there. Trust me on this. Obey me. Follow me. Raise your generations to follow me and watch what I do in your lifetimes and in their lifetimes. But instead, we do what's right in our own eyes for the immediate gain, for the quick fix. And as a result, we've forfeited so much else that God has made available to us. 
Step number one to prevent the downward spiral is to know the Lord in your life. To know him through this book that he's given us, to know him personally and intimately, to spend time with him regularly, to know him and experience him. You see, what I think a lot of us do, and this is a temptation in the busy world that we live in, the temptation is to know of him, to know about him, but to never actually know him. If you ask me, do I know Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr., I would tell you I know of them. I know facts about them. I can tell you where they were born, what they did in their lifetimes, when they died. I know of them, but I don't know them. Because I've never experienced time with them or been in their presence before. I don't know them. And when it comes to the things of God, this is the the, the trade-off we often make. I would rather know about God than to know God. I would rather know things about him than to spend time in his presence and experience him. Because the start of the spiral is when the people started to disconnect from God. When they stopped knowing him, they stopped knowing his heart. When they stopped knowing his heart, they made decisions based on their own hearts. Ask yourself today, are you in the spiral somewhere? And if you are, is it because you've disconnected from the source, because you've disconnected from God? I think for many of us, if we look at our decision making, that's one of the easiest places to tell how much we've actually disconnected from God. So step number one, let's know God. But step number two, let's make God known. It's not just that we know the Lord, but we make him known. One of the hardest things you'll read in the book of Judges, and honestly convicts me, should convict a lot of us. One generation would know the Lord, and the very next generation would turn their back on him. How does that happen? How do my parents experience this incredible miracle, this incredible relationship with God, and one generation later doesn't even know who he is? How does that happen? Because if we're honest, this is the sad truth of not just the Old Testament and the book of Judges. This is the lives that many of us live today. How do I make sure the generation after me knows the Lord? The spiral continues because one generation was farther from God than the previous generation. What I'm about to share might not be easy for a lot of us to hear because this is hurtful and hard to hear because many of us struggle with this and this is a pain that many of us carry even this morning. The pain of knowing that my generation after me does not know God or does not serve him. And that's a very real pain. That's a very real struggle. So I don't want to make light of that for even a second. But we see that the spiral continues when one generation does not pass on that truth to the next generation. When one generation does not make that experience real to the next generation. It is this painful passing on that happens. One generation is disconnected from God. The next one is further disconnected from God. So what do we do? How do we make God real to the next generation? Because here's the truth of the matter. God knew this was going to happen. The entire book of Deuteronomy is a lesson in this. God telling the people, when you cross into the promised land, a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to be settled and prosperous and successful. Settled, prosperous, and successful is usually a recipe to disconnect from God. 
And for the first time in your generations and their recent history, there's going to be prosperity. You are going to be disconnected from me. Don't let that happen. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6, God speaks to Moses and the people of Israel, and he tells them about the intentional nature of passing on the faith to the next generation. He says it like this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. God tells the people of Israel, passing on and making the the Lord known to the next generation has to be one of the highest priorities of your daily existence. This is how you choose God every single day. You make him real to the next generation. Now, I'm not just speaking to parents, but to every person here. You and I have a responsibility to pass that baton of faith on to the next generation that's after us. We have a responsibility. God says it has to be intentional. It's not just something that passively happens. He says, write them on your hearts. Bind them around your hands and on your foreheads. Make it so clear that anytime your children see you, that they will see God in you. But here's where I think we fall short in our time and our generation. If you're raising children right now, you are raising the most prosperous generation of children in history. So whatever God was saying to the people of Israel, multiply that a million times over, and that's what we're doing right now. A settled, prosperous generation of children. We're handing down incredible technologies to them. Technologies where they have the wisdom or the knowledge of the world at their literal fingertips. We pass that on to them. We pass down education to them. We pass down prosperity and wealth to them. We pass down all this wonderful advice on how to be a great athlete and how to be physically fit and how to be smart in school. We pass down all of this. But in the end, all we're really passing down is a bouquet of cut flowers, if that makes sense. We're passing down these beautiful roses to our children, but the problem is they've been snipped from the root. They've been snipped from the source. So what are we actually passing down? Something that withers and fades away over a short period of time, and then they have nothing to pass down to their next generation. It's this sad, sad reality that I see many of my colleagues and friends going through right now. They are passing down incredible stuff but they're not passing down what actually matters to the next generation. They're not making God real to that next generation. So ask yourself, why does our generation not prosper? Why is there far, far more levels of depression and anxiety and suicide and rates of tremendous harm and drug addiction in this generation? Is it because we haven't passed down enough stuff to them? Or it's because we haven't passed down what matters the most to them? This isn't hard, this isn't easy to listen to, and I know that. This is convicting and a burden to many of us, and we probably won't walk out of here smiling, hey, what an amazing sermon we heard today. That's not what's going to happen. But there's going to be this conviction on our hearts where God is calling us parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, JBQ coaches, to start to think about being intentional on passing the faith on to the next generation. If Moses and Joshua, 
who watched the Red Seas part and the Jordan River open in front of them had trouble passing this on to another generation. How much harder is it for us when our children can choose technologies and education and science and say, I found what matters? My friends, this morning is an opportunity for us to commit back to not just knowing the Lord ourselves, but making him known to the next generation. What landmarks are we building daily in our lives where our children will say to us, yes, my parents, they trust God. My uncle and my aunt, they trust God, and I know it. This is how they live it out every day. Let's let our children to see us reading God's word. Let's let our children hear us praying. Can we make our children see and intentionally know that we are a family that trusts in God in good times and in bad times? We only keep our highest priority on him. What can we do this coming week to make God real to them? This is not easy. It's something that takes constant, constant thinking and intentionality to make that happen, but it's totally worth it. In the book of Judges, you will see that when there's a generation that could ever pass on the faith, that next generation was likely to be more powerful. But we almost rarely see that because of the nature of the people in their hearts against God. They didn't know God. They didn't know the things of God. So what are we doing to be intentional about making the Lord known to the next generation? I struggle with this a lot personally. It's not just for my own children that I want to make God real to them. Every single day when I go to work, teaching at a college, for me, I see students in front of me. And I know, especially based on where they're coming from in many cases, I will be the only Christian they ever cross paths with in their entire lives. That puts me in a position where there's a lot of weight that I carry every day because of that. What are we doing with the opportunities that we come across every single day? Are we taking advantage of them or are we wasting them because, you know what, I'm worried about what they'll think in this situation. Are we missing opportunities to speak to our children and to encourage them because we're worried about what they will think? If one generation doesn't hear it from the previous generation, they are unlikely to stay connected to God. When I was in the 10th grade, I was on our town's baseball team, and I played third base for the town team. We were an incredible team. We finished that season something like 14-2. and two. We were headed to the playoffs with the number one seed, and this team was amazing. We, we did well together. We were close friends. We were classmates and teammates at the same time. We got to the playoffs, and the first round of the playoffs, we won in this comeback fashion where we won in the last inning. It was amazing. The hype and the excitement is just building as we go to the second round of the playoffs and do the same thing. That leads us to the championship game where we will get to play against one of the other top teams in that vicinity and we get to go up in this big, big deal. I knew I'd be playing third base for the championship game, batting second for the championship game. It meant everything to me. It was such a big deal. My team would go on to win that championship game. They would, our pitcher would throw a no-hitter in the World Series in the final game would throw a no-hitter, and we would win that championship. Of course, I would only find out about it the next day because I was not there. You see, the championship game took place on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and my parents were not going to let me go to that game. It was crushing to me, crushing to me, that I'd have to miss the game, miss, and have to tell my coach why I was missing the game, which he definitely did not understand, 
I'd have to tell my teammates while I was missing the game. And I could not go because the game was at the same time as church service that Sunday morning. Now, I'm not telling you that's how you have to do things in that situation. But here's the thing about that that scenario. I was upset. I was angry. I did not like what happened there. I was confused. But you know what I was never confused about? My parents' priorities. Never once did I doubt where their priorities were. They knew that God came first in everything. They believed that prayer came first in everything, that God came first in everything to the point where they were willing to disappoint me that day so that I would trust that God was the highest priority in my life. It wasn't easy. And again, I'm not saying that's what you have to do. But I was never confused about their priorities. Every single day, we have a chance to make intentional choices that bring our children closer to God or farther away from God. We make intentional choices to know God and make God real to our next generation, or we can separate them little by little away from that God. I want to ask you this morning, and I know it's not an easy answer sometimes, where have we taken our own children on a downward spiral? It's not easy to answer that question, but it's a question we have to ask. Where have we hurt their growth with God because we have made intentional choices where we displayed to them that we don't really trust in God? If we're honest, the spirals will only continue unless we know the Lord and make him known. Know the Lord myself and make him known to another generation. This morning, I want to invite our worship team back up as we close out this morning. There's a really important lesson that we can learn from the people of Israel that's not an easy one for us sometimes, but one that bears repeating and understanding. When I don't know Christ, when I forget him, my generations are more likely to completely forget him. And what does that mean down the road? It means I'm just handing them a bunch of cut flowers. Here's technology, here's money, here's education. Good luck with all that. If we're honest, the cut flowers that we're handing to our next generation is actually poisoning them way worse than we might imagine right now. And it's important for us, I'm speaking to parents and grandparents, but I'm also speaking to everyone here who doesn't necessarily have a child in their home that they're passing it on to, but might have someone in your life that you can make the Lord known to. This is your chance to be thinking about that. What are we doing to know the Lord and to make him known? The Apostle Paul, one of the most important figures in all of history, he wrote almost half of the New Testament. Someone that you and I would claim, he knows the Lord, he knows him. This is what Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul says, I want to know Christ. If he says it, how much more do I need to say it? I want to know him. I want to be deeply connected to him. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him. And then I want to go and pass that on to the next generation and get them ready to go and pick up that mantle and carry it on. Each one of us has a responsibility to pass on that baton. Each one of us has a responsibility to receive that baton, to pass it and to receive it. Here's the good news in all of it. The good news is In the book of Judges, when the people violated the covenant with God, God would send an army in to destroy them so they would wake up and come back to him. 
Here's the good news for you and me. When you and I violated the covenant with God, when you and I disobeyed, when you and I did what was right in our own eyes and not what was right in God's eyes, God did not punish you and I as we deserved. Instead, God came and took the punishment for you and I. You and I are forgiven. You and I are redeemed. We are set free this morning. Set free not only from sin and from death, we are set free from the vicious cycle of our lives. Of disobedience, discipline, distress, deliverers, and dissent. We are set free from all of that this morning. I invite everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning as I pose a difficult question to each of us. Where in your lives is the cycle happening right now? What are the triggers in your lives that are causing the cycle to continue? The downward spiral. Can we say in those areas, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to be so deeply connected to you that the spiral doesn't continue. It's not hot with God, cold with him tomorrow. It's not close to God, far from him tomorrow. God, I want to stay consistent with you. If that's something you're considering this morning, then here's an opportunity to pray together. And for many of us, the second part of the question is the far harder part. What are we doing to make him known to the next generation? This morning, many of us, especially parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, friends and neighbors who are sitting here right now, is there a name, is there a child, is there a young person in your life that you're thinking about right now? And you're saying, God, I cannot let them go down the path that they're going on right now. God, you love them. You did not forsake them. God, let me reach that person. God, I want to pray for that person right now. If that's you this morning, don't even hesitate for a second. Come running up to this altar this morning. Spend some time in God's presence saying, God, I want to end the cycle in my life. But more importantly and just as importantly, I want to make sure my next generation knows about you. If you want to plead for someone's life, for a young person, a child, a grandchild, someone in your life, come forward this morning. There'll be leaders and pastors will be here available to pray with you. But there is no need. We need to go out of here the same way that we came in, carrying the burden of an unbelieving child, carrying the burden of a child who is far from God. Let's bring those children before God this morning. God loves them. God desires relationship with them. But let's come and bring them before the altar of God this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness in this place. God, our children are your children. You knew them and loved them long before you gave them to us. And God, this morning we come before you with them, with their lives, praying for deliverance and healing, praying for a breakthrough in their relationship with you, Lord God. In every way that they are farther and farther away from you, and we look at the scenario and we say, God, this is hopeless, Lord. Return the hope to your families today, Lord God. Lord, I pray for deliverance in these areas, a renewal of hope in these areas, for breakthrough in lives, for chains to be broken off of our children this day, Lord God. Lord, we pray that our children and our grandchildren would carry on the legacy that you have given us, Lord God. 
that we would not just hand down cut flowers, but we would hand down the truth of a loving God to them that they would carry on to the next generation. Lord, speak to us in our time of worship this morning. Set us free from the burden that we carry about our children. Set us free to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. As we worship this morning, let's rise to our feet. Let's come before God this morning and spend time at this altar praying for our children, for our grandchildren, and for ourselves as we break the cycle of our lives. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m., 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E, Dot org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.